This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the IOC grants full recognition to World Lax. So we're there, but we're not quite there. Steve Govett will stop by to tell us what needs to happen next. And with the idea of betting on lacrosse becoming a reality, we talk to our boy Pat Gregor. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! hardest day for me. It has a lot of bad memories, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, but the good news is the day after the hardest day is always one of the happiest days as tomorrow is my birthday. So good with the bad, bad with the good, it's just kind of how the month of July goes. The best part about the month of July right now is that we have lacrosse, And there's going to be more lacrosse across Canada as the BC Junior League, the Rocky Mountain League, and of course now the Ontario Junior A League are going to be playing. Even the MSL is going to play some games. July is almost over. We're getting into August. We are less than five months away from December 3rd. We are closing in on free agency. There is a lot to talk about. So let's kind of slowly start to delve into things. First off the bat, my name is Teddy Jenner. You can get a hold of me at Off the Crossbar on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram, OTCB Podcast, or hit me up via email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Got a nice ring to it. It's got a good tempo and flow. Um, chatted with a uh, super fan of the show, Ben Mitchell, uh, a little bit this week, just talking about uh, the news about the TSN games um, that will be broadcasted up here in Canada. So from, from my understanding, and I believe how it is going to work, is that there will be a game of the week broadcast live on the TSN network across Canada. I don't know which channel, one through five, but there will be a game of the week on TSN. 
Then all of the other games in the National Lacrosse League that normally we would be, you know, web streaming on BR Live, um, those games will be streamed on the back end of the tsn.ca website and the TSN app. So in Canada, and those of you who are technically savvy can get, you know, international apps and streaming sites to work, um, I believe you'll be able to watch every single lacrosse game in the National Lacrosse League this coming year. There will be, I think, 20 or so live broadcasts on TV, plus playoffs and the finals. And then all the other stuff is going to be streamed. So that's a, you know, that's a huge bonus. I, if you have TSN cable on cable, I think you freely get the TSN app, so there's no charge there. Um, so that's all very positive stuff for continuing to get more eyes on the game of lacrosse. And that kind of leads us into the big news of the week for the world of lacrosse. And that is that the International Olympic Committee has granted full recognition to world lacrosse. Which is a massive step in getting the sport of lacrosse sixes into the Olympic Games as a played sport. Now, myself included, kind of jumped put the cart in front of the horse, as it were, and was like, sweet, lacrosse is in the Olympics, can't wait for LA 2028, because that's obviously everybody's plan and foresighted goal. Terry Foy pointed out uh, on Twitter that while this is, yes, great news, we are not yet playing lacrosse in the Olympics. We have just been granted recognition by the IOC to be a member of the IOC. We now have to gain entry as a played sport, and there are still many steps to get to that. Our next guest, Steve Govett, or our first guest, Steve Govett, uh, has been a part of the World Lacrosse Board for the last couple of years as an independent director. And he knows sort of everything that's going on in these discussions. He's a part of them. Maybe not at the top end and the final table meetings, but he has quite a lot of input and say, and he has been around the lacrosse globe a few times, so he knows how things work, what needs to happen, and how we can get there. So in my conversation with Steve, we obviously talk about what's next and what the plan is and how we will eventually get to a point where Canadian, American, Iroquois, English, Japanese, Chilean, Mexican, whatever. Countries, all 70 countries that are part of World Lacs, when will we get to that point where those athletes will be able to walk into an Olympic stadium? Because that is what ultimately we all want. That is the end goal. So we ask him those questions. And it's not as easy as just being granted full recognition. There are a lot of steps. We still have a few more hurdles to go over. And then, of course, there's the whole concept and the idea of will the Iroquois Nationals be accepted by the IOC as a competing nation 
and be allowed in the Olympics. And whether or not that will ever happen. And more importantly, if it doesn't happen, what should world lacrosse's reaction to be? Not more so the the governing body, but what is going to be the reaction from everybody else? Because when I spoke with Casey Powell on the SEALs pod last week, go check it out on the SEALs YouTube channel, he was very adamant, and Kevin Finneran echoed his thoughts in saying, if the Iroquois Nationals aren't allowed, then nobody else should go and play. And essentially, a pseudo-boycott. And I truly agree with that. However, it's, it's not as easy as saying, okay, the Iroquois Nationals, you are in the Olympics. There are, just like trying to get the sport of lacrosse into the Olympics as a played sport, there are a lot of steps and hurdles that the Iroquois Nationals would have to go through in order to become a competing member nation of the IOC. They need to have a governing body. Um, They need to have a National Olympic Committee. They need to have, I believe, teams in five sports that are in the Olympics, both male and female. So there are things that the Iroquois Nationals will have to do. And we'll ask Steve Govett sort of the process for that and and what's going to happen. So this is a very informative conversation. And um, I mentioned the Terry Foy tweet. Terry Foy also did an incredible interview with Jim Schur from World Lacrosse. And I highly recommend you go listen to that podcast. It's on the Inside Lacrosse Twitter account and the Inside Lacrosse podcast page. Um, So once we get done with Steve and once we get done with Pat and you've taken a break from this podcast... I highly suggest you go and listen to that interview because while Steve and I get into some good topics and he gives us some really good information, Jim sure has all of the information and, and is able to paint the picture a little more specifically and give a few more details. However, Steve and I do talk about some great things. We have a wonderful conversation as we always do. So sit back and relax as I go one-on-one with Steve Govett, president of the San Diego Seals and independent director for World Lacrosse right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm well. How are you? Uh, I'm great. How is San Diego? San Diego is hot. (laughs) 90 degrees in San Diego. It's very hot. Most of the houses here don't have air conditioning, but I do, so I'm going to live. But... uh, (laughs) um, yeah, 90 degrees in San Diego is not, uh, and, and it'll, you know, we, we like it when it gets back to 75 and sunny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you got knock around field. There's lots going on with Junior Seals and, and the Royals. There's a lot to be excited about about San Diego lacrosse and the growth of the game down there. You know, it's exciting, actually. I, I got a, all credit to Cam Holding and, you know, uh, Westberg's involved and, and uh, you know, guys like Skylar Winery and Austin Stotts and, uh, you know, Patrick Merrill's been here all week and, and kind of interacting and, and, you know, junior seals, girls and, and mm-hmm. boys. And, and so there's a ton of stuff. We've got some huge announcements coming up with relationships that we're going to have with, uh, with some key, you know, big brands in the market that are doing a lot of cool stuff to extend the brand and grow the brand in the market. 
so I'm excited about that. I think, you know, the Royals is obviously something that's close to my heart just because of my involvement, you know, over the years in, in Colorado with, with the college box league that Matt Brown was running and, and, uh, super excited about that. And then, you know, we've extended the brand and, and created this Royals team and just been around, being around them kind of all summer is, is, and having them play lacrosse has been, it's just been super cool to have lacrosse being played. And obviously my son is playing and, and he's excelling. So that's cool. But uh, you know, and I got to tell you, it's good lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Like it's good lacrosse. Pat Merrill and I were having a conversation about it the other day, trying to compare it to what it looks like in Canada. And, and I think this Royals team and, and Shaden's team, the Dragons up from Northern California, I, I would put them up against a lot of junior A teams in Canada and they'd be super competitive. Now they may not be in the, in the, you know, the, the highest level camp of playing for a Minto cup, but uh, I certainly think that they could compete. So, you know, I, I think they're good junior A lacrosse teams, mm -hmm. you know, mid-level junior A lacrosse teams, and, and that's just going to get better. So Wait till all these kids start getting drafted. That's going to be the fun part. Yeah, I was speaking with Cam the other day about it, and he mentioned that when when they first started the, those Denver teams and they were going up to Canada to play some of the Canadian teams, they were getting wiped, and they were just because they were so new to it. But now you take those teams up there, and they're having success in those tournaments. And so the hope is for those Junior Seals team. You know, they went to Denver the other weekend. They had some success, but maybe they'd like to see some more. But in ten years, once this program has grown they're going to be a real force to be reckoned with because it's going to be that much more lacrosse. These young kids have been exposed to. Well, the thing that I'm really excited about with the Royals is representative of, you know, some great colleges, right? Princeton, Harvard, mm -hmm. Johns Hopkins, uh, Notre Dame. Uh, my son's at the university of Delaware, but Middlebury college, you know, high point there, there's some big name colleges and these kids are contributing uh, at the highest level in division one. Most of them are local to San Diego. They played high school across here in San Diego. And, and you know what, the next step for them, and this is kind of what's always been missing in the, in, in kind of that lineage of where they go after playing youth lacrosse. And as you say, they, they play up in Canada or they play a tournament here and there, they play in the junior NLL tournament. They get to go do those fun things and interact, which, you know, look, it's more about running around a hotel room than actually playing lacrosse in a lot of those cases. But I think what's becoming a lot more serious, especially in these college kids, is they see a platform where they can play in their hometown city and make that transition into the National Lacrosse League from, from places like I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. but, but these kids are, are, you know, they're aspiring to be in the National Lacrosse League. And this is a natural stepping stone that was missing in the past. You know, we, we've always had, you know, junior lacrosse from, from minor to, you know, to junior to so then senior and then, you know, the NLL, if, if that's the way you look at it, or the NLLs skip a step and you just play junior and go in the NLL. But now what you're seeing is these kids are here in the U.S. have that stepping stone. And, and I think it's, uh, it's going to pay dividends across the board. The more players that the American teams can draft from American cities, American programs, um, the less Canadians that we take out of the Canadian teams in the Canadian cities. So you want to talk about how we can expand in the future to, you know, the level that our commissioner would like to see us get to. And even today with, you know, 15 teams next year and hopefully 16 in the next couple of years, three or four years, you know, how are we going to sustain that? Well, it's going to be programs that teams like us 
you know, grow the game with. And there's only three people that grow the game, the national governing bodies, the manufacturers and the pro teams in town. Well, manufacturers don't have a ton of money for this stuff. Neither does the, the national governing bodies. They have their hands full doing all that stuff. So the pro teams have to step in and, and grow fan bases. And that's what we're, uh, that's what we're working on. Uh, the growth of the game has been monumental over the past three or four years. And the number of teams that world across, the number of countries that world across has accepted into their fold uh, continues to grow. Um, the growth of the game has led us to the major announcement that was this past week. And that was that the IOC granted full recognition to world across to be a part of the IOC. How important and monumental is that announcement? Well, it's a significant importance right it's it's a it's a timeline and if you think about this from a chronological perspective you can't get into the olympics if you're not a member of the ioc um and so we're not we're not in the olympics yet which i think is important for everybody kind of to press the pause button but you can't get there unless you progress through a number of of chronological kind of um event points uh, to get there. And I think, you know, previously there was an announcement that said that, that we were being recommended to the, you know, that, that the executive board had recommended that we be accepted. Uh, and then, you know, uh, June, July 20th is a huge day uh, for the sport of lacrosse as we've been accepted into the Olympic uh, community. Uh, there are a number of sports that are members, full members of the IOC that don't compete in the Olympics. Right. So it's not a fait accompli. It's not, it's a step. And the step is a huge one. It can't get us to the end game. If we don't, you know, you can't get to the top of the stairs if you don't hit steps two and three. Right. So, um, so this is huge and, and a lot of hard work by a lot of people and, and special kudos to a guy like Jim Schur, who put a staff together of people uh, and Derek Seibel and, and, and the people that are working extremely hard in Colorado Springs to get us there. Uh, embracing a number of the members uh, in the world and, and, a, and a board that's super passionate that I, I, I'm very fortunate to be a part of and, and to see what they're doing and in the, in growing the game of lacrosse and, and trying, you know, so many things that you see the bandwidth being stretched left and right, but ultimately um, good work and great work done by Jim Sher and his staff. So then obviously the people will ask, what is the next step? Uh, uh, you know, the vision is 2028 in, in Los Angeles, but that's still many years away. And we still haven't been accepted into an actual playing sport. So how do we get there? What's the next step? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of moving pieces. And, and um, I would tell you that Jim Schur is probably a better person to ask with specifics, but ultimately they don't select uh, the participant sports until uh, for the 2028 games until sometime in 2023, uh, which would be like the uh, late summer, early fall of 2023 is when they select the home country sports. Right. And so every host country gets to select some of the sports that they'd like to see participate. Our goal with lacrosse is to see that live beyond just a, a host city sport in LA and live beyond that into, you know, uh, 32 and 36 and, and keep perpetually being involved. Um, and there's a number of pieces and, and obviously creating the new discipline of sixes is important. And a lot of people ask the question, why is it important? And why are we doing that? Why are we, why are we taking what we all think to be a beautiful game and changing it? And 
that's another topic of discussion that we can discuss later. But ultimately, yeah, you know, we have we're, now that we have the IOC recognition and we're a member of IOC, we have to make sure that we're being selected as a sport uh, to participate. Uh, and, and for those people out there that don't know this, because why would anybody? Um, the, the IOC is committed to a net neutral kind of growth in the number of athletes. So if you add lacrosse, right, and you add the number of lacrosse participants and coaches and staff um, into the village, you have to remove others. Mm. So there's a process, right? And it's a very political process. Uh, there's a number of sports that are also vying to get in. And you saw even... Um, you know, the other sports that were recognized by the IOC in comparison to ours uh, and what they are and who they are, they're, they're different. So lacrosse gaining that recognition is, is super important. The next steps are you have to get in, you have to get the invite to the party. Yeah. Um, we just got on the guest, we, we just got on like the potential guest list and the potential guest list. If you're, if you're following my metaphor here, potential guest list, you know, then you get the invite to the party and then you get invited to tell us who you want to bring to the party. So who the teams are, who qualifies, who's eligible, who's all those things. We have to make sure that all of our teams are uh, abiding and have a national governing body and have a uh, national Olympic committee. And, and they have to, all of our participants, 70 some odd participants have to make sure that we adhere to the IOC rules. And so we're working through those processes of logistics and uh, bureaucratic process to make sure that when the time comes, we're ready to say, yes, we accept the invitation. And then here are the people that are going to participate in our process and here are their credentials. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that leads us to the next elephant in the room um, and that's the Iroquois Nationals. And we know that this will be a conversation that happens in that, you know, 2023, 2024 window of when we get to invite the invitees. Um, is it important for world lacrosse and the sport of lacrosse to have the Iroquois nationals at the Olympics? Well, I think it's important to say this first is it's important for world lacrosse to be invited to play in the Olympics. And so the focus for the last, three years has been making sure that lacrosse itself is worthy and prepared uh, and has all the documentation. And I would tell you that the, the document submitted for the membership of World Lacrosse was 500 pages long. And that was created by the guys at World Lacrosse with Jim Schur and, and his group. 500 page document to get that submitted. And so a ton of work has gone into right now, making sure that the sport is eligible for what we need. So there has been, and there continues to be 10 years of work trying to be done in, in two or three years, right? So who participates as of right now? We have little impact on that today, other than to be preparing every nation in world lacrosse and every member in world lacrosse to be preparing to adhere to IOC compliance. So um, the Iroquois specifically, uh, and I, I happen to spend a ton of time working um, with their, you know, their national governing body and talking to them on a monthly basis uh, with their people. 
And much of those conversations are about how the Iroquois can comply. And so, of course, I think World Lacrosse is preparing every nation, just like they're preparing the Iroquois nation, um, to be you know, accepted as competitors in the Olympics. And so the focus is on the entire body. Um, and the Iroquois are a very well-respected and very you know, significant member of World Lacrosse as, as one of a, the top three to four or five countries in all of lacrosse. Obviously, they created the game, so they're very special to all of us. Uh, and, and the efforts that we will all make on their behalf, um, you know, in order to make them as eligible, you know, eligible to participate, mm -hmm. we will do whatever we can to make that possible. You mentioned the, the format of sixes, and there are some people that like the idea. There are some people that are still on the fence about the idea. When you look at the Olympics, rugby had to go to sevens to get it fully into the Olympics, and other sports have had to make adjustments. Was it just sort of the fact that the Olympics wants sports that are easily accessible, that are that are easy to set up, um, that are good for fan engagement? Is that um, some of the reasons that sixes was put in place? Well, it, it's a really it's a it's a simple question, Ted, but. It's bigger, right? And, and the point of it is, yes, it's gotta be simple to set up, and it, but it's gotta be simple to compete in, right? I think everybody looks at it and goes, well, why don't you just put box lacrosse in the Olympics, right? Well, because 70 countries that participate in lacrosse around the world don't have the infrastructure of lacrosse boxes at their disposal, right? They, it's easy to walk out onto a field and play lacrosse right? Um, it has to be accessible from a gender equity perspective, which is vitally important. The games have to look the same. The games have to be generally accepted um, from, from, the, from the gender equity perspective, men and women. Uh, you're limited, right, by the net neutral impact of athletes in the village, which is a huge issue for us. Um, when you look at either box or field, you're talking about 23 athletes, right? And box, there's very little. And even though there's an initiative today to get women's box started, right now there's only a Canadian and maybe some American contingent of, of women that play. So you couldn't make it box specific. Field, right? The field is larger, but ultimately it's, it's 10 athletes on the field, but those rosters are 26, Right. And then you've got a staff of 10, um, you know, support staff. So now you're talking about 36 more people times eight in the Olympic village. It just wasn't going to fly. I mean, it, it, we were, we were not going to be accepted if that's the game that we were presenting. So they had to come up with a smaller sided game. That was a great representation of the athleticism and the beauty of the sport that we so, you know, are, are so passionate about. And ultimately, if you think about it from, and I see you're wearing a Hong Kong uh, t-shirt, that's great. I appreciate that very much. Uh, we love our brothers in Hong Kong. Was talking to Van Sternberg last night about how we need to get, you know, Hong Kong into the Olympics and, and make them good enough to be that. Well, think about this from the perspective of 70 countries play. It's not just about North American countries, right? It's just not, it's not just about USA, Canada, and Iroquois. They're the best today. We want this sport to have a legacy for a hundred years in the Olympics, 
right? We want it to be basketball, you know, but ultimately you have to put yourself in a situation where teams like Israel, Hong Kong, Portugal can compete. And so developing, you know, eight athletes or, or sorry, six, six athletes that can play is easier than developing 26 athletes that can play. And so it actually gives, it, it gives a nod to the level playing field that Canada and U.S. and Iroquois might be better at sixes, but Hong Kong only has to develop six players to be competitive. So there's, there's some nuances across the board to why it was suggested. And look, the Blue Skies Working Group that worked on this with Steve Stenerson's leadership did an amazing job talking about sixes. And they engaged a lot of people, not only in North America, but men, women, um, coaches. You know, this is not going to replace our traditional game, just like you referenced at the beginning of the conversation in rugby. It, sevens rugby never replaced union, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, rugby league. It, it, it didn't replace that. And it's not going to replace box. And it's not going to affect us from a, you know, from an NLL perspective. It's not going to affect Canadian box lacrosse. It's not going to affect or change college lacrosse this is just another version right and more lacrosse is a good thing and you yeah. may see guys that specialize or gals that specialize specifically in the sixes version similar to volleyball if you think about how you know beach volleyball players don't necessarily play in the traditional uh six v six in volleyball indoor volleyball versus beach volleyball there's different specialized athletes for that and you may see that in canada you may see that in in Israel or, or, or Spain or, or Mexico, right? That, that you may actually see them start to participate in sixes alone and maybe they don't participate in box mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's however we wanna see that develop. And so, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces here but I think sixes, um, people should get behind it. You know what, it's fun to watch. It's, it's a fast paced version of the game and yeah, it's different, it's new. But you know what, like, so we entered a three point line in basketball that didn't seem to work out too bad right yeah, yeah. for those people out there that you know for a long long time ago there used to be a jump ball after every basket in basketball that got replaced in sixes it's just different it's not yeah. bad it's just different yeah and you know you I, I can't remember who said this but if you look at the original form of lacrosse way back hundreds and hundreds of years ago the two main versions of the sport we play now are drastically different from that back in the day. So the game continues to evolve. And like you said, sixes won't replace box. It won't replace field. It will give more athletes a chance to play the game and specialize in sixes as well. Cause you know, we, we use the rugby analogy. There are talented rugby sevens players that never play 15th because the sevens game is a faster, more athletic type of game. And we could see that in sixes lacrosse, which leads me to the world games and the real debut of sixes on the international stage. How important will it be for the sixes to kind of show out and, and teach everybody what this sport can really be? Well, it's obviously a great event for those non-Olympic sports, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that opportunity um, is a great one. I mean, to showcase a new version of the game, I think you're going to see a lot of excitement around it. And, and, and I think a lot of excitement to participation and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I know it's in Birmingham, Alabama and not too far for us to get to, but 
um, you know, would I rather go to Prague or, you know, Australia? Sure. But at, at the end of the day, that's so selfish. Yeah. Um, but the point being is it's, you, you don't get to launch, I say this a lot, you don't get to launch franchises very much in your career, but you certainly don't get to launch new sports and disciplines. Uh, and so, you know what, this is, this is just a monumental event for lacrosse to, to participate in and, uh, and to be a, a part of is just, you know, for me personally, and I think for all of us uh, kind of stewarding the sport through this process, uh, it's a huge monumental step. Another monumental step. I, I go back to the, you know, I mean, think of yourself as a Ugandan who's picking up the sport for the first time and you don't have, you know, we we're spoiled here, right. In, in the U S and Canada and, and, uh, we're spoiled. We have all the infrastructure, we have the fields and we have the turf, we have all that type of stuff. But, you know, think about showing up to a field and you only got six players and or you only got 12 players and you want to play a game and your field's not big enough and you got a patch of dirt that you can play on. Um, and, and just picture that in your mind. Are, do we really want to deny those kids the ability to play a game? Mm. Um, you know, and, and Casey Powell does a three on three version of the game in speed lacrosse. And, you know, it, it's a great way to play the game. Well, there's nothing wrong with his speed lacrosse version. It gives more access. So if we want to grow this game and we want to grow it around the world, we have to make it more accessible. And that's what this game is about is making it more accessible. And so Birmingham is the first step in that accessibility to show the world that, we have a game that you can pick up a stick and play. Yeah. And, and that's what that's about. Um, two more for you. Uh, what comes with full recognition by the IOC? Is there financial support? Is there infrastructure? Is there um, networking and workshops, stuff like that, that the IOC can help world across kind of continue to grow? Yeah, I think first of all, being um, you, you just got um, recognition to, to enter, you know, the party, right? Mm -hmm. And the networking availability and those types of things are important, but yes, participating in meetings, having a seat at the table, finally, right? Um, and, and everybody knows that if you're kind of on the outside looking in, you don't really know what's going on uh, in the process and having a seat at the table for the sport is probably the most important thing, but having access to resources, materials, meetings, um, uh, you know, clinicians uh, to, to the people that are involved in, in, you know, whether it be, you know, the process of, of, of education with regards to drug testing and, and all the things that we're going to have to comply with. And mm -hmm. I think um, the Olympics, again, are a massive compliance machine. And so making certain that we comply when the time comes, making sure that we have the relationships to, to get all of our people in, to get all of our uh, participants um, included in the process. I, I think, I think that's the key issue is the seat at the table. Um, I don't know if this has any basis or anything, but with the PLO being based in LA, does that kind of help the conversations to get lacrosse in the LA 28? Yeah, by all means, uh, Casey Wasserman is, is a, a significant figure in the process and he he's working with the, you know, the LA Olympic committee and, and certainly having, I know that Paul and Mike have a great relationship with Casey. Obviously, NBC is the uh, is the significant broadcast partner, at least in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, PLL has a great relationship with with the NBC group. Um, 
you know, and Paul and Mike are, are very astute, very intelligent and very active participants in the process. So yes, that's, that's a, a very important part of it. Uh, Joe Tai having, having a relationship as Alibaba is one of the biggest sponsors of the Olympics, right? Um, you know, and, and Joe having a, a pretty strong relationship with Casey Wasserman. I mean, you know, uh, Jim Schur having his relationship with LA and, and the Olympics and, uh, you know, and his background in, in wrestling and, and, you know, I mean, if it's not for relationships that we have across the board, whether it be PLL or NLL or ownership or, or, you know, the, the world lacrosse, you know, activity, Daryl, Daryl Seibel's, you know, relationships in, in, uh, in the Olympic, you know, kind of movement, um, they all matter. They all count. Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely. The PLL being in LA absolutely counts and matters. Um, so 2028 happens. We, we get everything we want. We, we get lacrosse in it. Who does Jake Govett play for? <laughs> Funny. I asked that question the other day. Um, you know, what doesn't matter, yeah. um, to, to have, he's, He's been bugging me since he was four years old about getting the game of lacrosse in the Olympics and knowing and understanding that, you know, might never happen in his playing lifetime or career. Uh, I think everybody in this game um, should look at the Olympics and the attachment of the Olympic rings to the game of lacrosse as a monumental and massive opportunity. And if you think about it just from the perspective of the CLA, uh, and, and how much money canoeing or rowing or any of those Olympic sports are granted by the Canadian government to the sports that are Olympic eligible and what it does for the growth of the game and the sponsorship opportunities and the commercialization of the, of the sport. Uh, it's just, it, I can't even begin to share with you how much it means. And, and so for any kid, today that is thinking about, you know, it's 2021 and he was born in 2000, um, you know, 28 years old at the time, but all those kids that are coming up through high school that are in that wheelhouse, I will tell you, I don't care what kids play on what teams, but I'll be shedding a tear watching lacrosse players walk in with their nation. That to me, is a massive accomplishment for everybody that's contributing to the growth of the game today and in the past 20 years. And I don't care who they are or what they did. If you were a trainer, if you were an equipment manager, if you were a broadcaster, if you were a manager, if you were uh, a youth coach and you contributed, everyone should shed a tear in a positive way to watch any player walk in. And, and I've got a lot of players that I would love to see there. My son's one of them but it doesn't matter who it is. It's just a monumental opportunity for the game. Can we put John Grant Jr. in a cryovac to make sure he plays? <laughs> His daughter, Gabby. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That, and that's, and that's the next thing you're going to have all these guys that have kids that are still young, like yourself, like a lot of the other guys that are in this league, their kids are going to be the ones that we watch finally walk a lacrosse stick into an Olympic stadium. Steve, this has been a fantastic chat as always. I appreciate your time. Uh, take care of yourself in the sunshine down in San Diego. Don't get burnt and uh, enjoy that air conditioning, my friend. Happy to do it, Teddy. We'll talk to you soon. There he is. That is Steve Govett, president of the San Diego Seals and independent director for World Lacrosse. 
Um, again, if you have the time, go listen to Terry Foy's interview interview with Jim Sher, where they go over a lot of the things that Steve and I talked about, but with a little more finite details and a little more information. And it is very informative to understand how the process will work in order to get the sport of lacrosse sixes as a host city sport for the 2028 games in Las Vegas. So, or sorry, in Los Angeles. Um, So that decision, you know, is still two years, two and a half years away. And I agree that the network connections that Joe Sy has and Jim Schur and Paul Rabel and with NBC, the work that everybody behind the scenes is doing to make this a reality is massive. It is a huge undertaking. And when it eventually does happen, and I truly believe that in 2028 it does happen, it is going to be a huge, huge moment for the game of lacrosse. And I also agree that we need it to be more than just a flash-in-the-pan host city sport. Uh, Brisbane has just been announced as the host city for the Olympics in 2032. And as Steve mentioned, lacrosse is rampant in Australia. So it would make sense that it would be a sport that could continue on to 32. But then it needs to be able to continue on until 36 and 40 and beyond. So it needs sustain. It needs staying power. And while, yeah, we all would love to see either field or box in the Olympics, I think sixes is going to be badass. When you think of the athletes that are going to be on the field and, you know, you're not going to be able to just have attackmen because guys got to play defense and there's not going to be long pulls. So you can't just have strictly pure D guys. It is going to be the most hybrid game of lacrosse with the best hybrid athletes in it. And I was unaware that, you know, the the idea that you have to, you know, kind of not bring in so many athletes because of the numbers for athletes, villages and stuff like that. So the idea of creating sixes was a way to circumvent that issue, just like rugby sevens. And rugby sevens, if you've never seen rugby sevens, get on the bandwagon, friends, because rugby sevens is one of the best sports going right now. And it was basically introduced for the fact solely of getting into the Olympics. And there are players that purely specialize in rugby sevens. So this could start to create a new brand of lacrosse player, a sixes specialist. And we've seen in the past players that are incredible at box but their game doesn't really translate to the field game. And there's players that are great at field, but their games don't translate to the box game. So we could see some athletes who aren't quite box players and aren't quite field players, but are absolutely dynamic in sixes. So before you go, you all start just hating on sixes and keep bashing it for what you see it as. Keep an open mind and understand that lacrosse has come so far in 
hundreds and hundreds of years of being played when it was first gifted to us by the creator. That now we're just doing the next evolution of the game. And I'm here for it. And if that means we get athletes walking out of the Olympic tunnel for the opening ceremonies carrying their country's flags, I'm here for it. And if everybody can pull on the same rope and we can do everything together to ensure that the Iroquois Nationals and the Haudenosaunee are in the Olympics, I'm here for it. But we still have a long way to go. And it's still going to be a road to travel down. But this was a huge first step and was a necessary step. And it's going to be one that, fingers crossed, hopefully leads us to 2028 in Los Angeles. The exposure of the game of lacrosse, whether it be in the Olympics, whether it be on NBC TV, whether it be on TSN for the NLL this year, eyes continually are turning to the game of lacrosse. And more and more people are playing the game of lacrosse. And when you have a demand for people wanting to see it and play it, there's ultimately going to be that demand to bet on it. And with the National Lacrosse League's partnership with BetMGM, we've started to see some sort of betting on lacrosse very minimally in the States. Um, there are ways to bet on the PLL. Uh, you can bet overs and unders and all that stuff, which is huge. It, for people who want to bet and are sport bettors, being able to place money on a game and prop bets and all that stuff is monumental to getting more people involved in the sport. So up here in Canada, we finally just passed law that will allow more betting and gambling on games. I don't know the ins and outs on it, but that's why we got Pat Gregoire. He works for Cool Bet Canada. He's the color man for the Halifax Thunderbirds. He's a guru when it comes to sports betting, and he's got the best hair in the league. We chat a lot of things. T-Birds, betting, Ontario Junior Lacrosse and some second-half PLL. And it's all right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Hey, G, how are you, buddy? Well, that was the best intro I think I could have ever heard, but uh, I won't take credit for the hair right now because um, finally we're able to get haircuts here in Ontario, but my barber decided to take a two-week vacation after we opened up. So I got to find someone else. So anyone here in Ontario, preferably the Durham region, if you have a barber for me, let me know, because as we'll talk about in a little bit, I've got to do some broadcasting this weekend and uh, my hair is going to be out of control. Um, Okay. I I have a question. And I, I, I ask this people a lot of questions. Like I go to the same place to get my hair cut, but I never, I don't care who cuts it. What is the, fascination with always having the same person cut your hair well my guy actually it's it's the only one who who's there so he uh only one barber in the durham region no he's he's my guy that i go to he's the only one he runs it it's called large cuts look him up on on instagram actually austin owens i i hooked him up he goes to the same guy but no i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to branch out i'm gonna have to get someone else so um (laughs) but i don't know it's just he's my guy i like him he does a good job he knows what to do. He knows what I like. Do you get a little scalp massage while you're there? Or is it just standard cut it and get it in and get out? 
Yep. Standard cut it, getting it out. Doesn't style it after he knows what I like. We usually have sports on the TV music plan and, and uh, it's a good time too. So. All right. Well, you mentioned that you are going to be back in the broadcasting chair this weekend as the Ontario junior A lacrosse association kicks off their shortened bubble COVID season. All games are going to be out at the track. Um, it's what two weeks, two and a half weeks of, of games. And it is going to be done in a flash, pardon the pun, but how excited are you to watch some games and call some games again? Oh my God. It, it's, it's just the absolute best. I, I'm so excited for it. Um, 44 regular seasons, uh, regular season games spread over two weekends. So four days, 44 games. And then we finish thing off uh, uh, August 7th with a couple of semifinals in the finals. So the top four teams are going to play off for the Iroquois cup and it's going to be awesome. And obviously we haven't seen, you know, real competitive box lacrosse for about two years now here in Ontario. So um, exhibition games are flowing through right now this week. Um, they start this weekend, but sounds from from the sounds of it things are getting really chippy in these games and i think it's just the fact that the boys haven't hit the floor they haven't been cross-checked that way they haven't been slashed that way because yeah these guys a lot of them have been playing ball whether it be down in the states or um, some of the younger guys with travel teams so they've that's i think going to be the best of both worlds i don't think it's going to be too too um, rusty of a game because all these guys are unbelievable athletes. A lot of them have been playing in the NCAA, mostly division one. Um, so these guys are in shape. There's no doubt about that. I think obviously it'll take a little time to get back into systems and stuff, but uh, these coaches will do a great job to get them prepared. And I think that's going to make it even better because truly there's so much talent in this league. And I think there is a good handful of teams that I think, you know, over that shortened season as well, anyone can win. Um, a lot of the debate when the OJALL sort of rebranded and kind of branched out on their own was what they're going to do with the 22 year olds. Um, what are they doing with the 22 year olds right now? Are they playing? Aren't they playing? So 22 year olds are playing in this um, shortened season, we'll call it. Uh, and that's all that has been confirmed for this year. Obviously next year, I believe the CLA will have to approve it again. Um, and it's sounding like that's probably not going to happen. So for the, I believe it's the 2000 year birth age, this is going to be their last kick of the can. Obviously it's unfortunate that's not going to be for a Minto championship, uh, but they are playing for a prize and that's awesome. I, I coach in junior B. Uh, our league voted against having 22 year olds. So there's that 2000 year, unless you you're getting on, uh, to a, sorry, it's the 99s actually, I believe now that I say that. So it's the 99s, right? Those guys aren't, aren't going to get a season back. Right. And we're not even playing for a trophy right now. It's all exhibition games and showcase tournaments. So this is awesome. You know, that Mark Grimes, the new commissioner of the OJL has, you know, put this together. Yes, it's not. There's no trip to the Minto on the line, but they're battling for a trophy, and these guys are, are getting their last season of junior out there. So uh, it's big for those guys. I also think it's big for just anyone that's going to be playing because they're going to get some sort of competition. I think going two full years uh, without having any sort of true competition just would seriously hurt the development for a lot of these guys. The one thing that I've noticed in watching the BC Junior League and, and Junior A and Tier 1 
has been the fact that, yes, we've been w- without lacrosse for two years, but, you know, Burnaby, which has sort of been a bottom feeder in, in past, has all of a sudden found an influx of youth and they are, you know, climbing up the tables. Coquitlam, who is usually running rugshaw over the entire league, is, is struggling. Um, is there a chance that, you know, the normal general top teams may struggle and some of the bottom feeders might be able to find a second gear and, you know, have a better showing than in years past? I don't know if we're going to see a team like, you know, the Northmen fall off, uh, you know, the top here. But what I will say is I think there is going to be more contenders at the top. Uh, Burlington obviously had a team ready to win a championship. I think they still are are a prime contender to win. They came so close to winning that Ontario final uh, just two years ago. I I think the Whippy Warriors, this young core that we've been talking about for so long, led by Dyson Williams and and head coach Sean Williams, they're not young anymore. Um, They're going to get a chance to kindly finally show what they can do. Um, you look at a, a team like the Toronto beaches, they're not a team that has maybe one or two superstars that are going to blow you away, um, offensively or defensively, but they have 10, 12 guys strong on offense who can all put the ball in the net and they don't care who scores as long as they're scoring. And you look at them on the back end, they're going to be fast. They're going to be strong. They're going to be pushed, you know, push the ball up the floor and they're coached by, you know, a new coaching staff led by Riley O'Connor. Luke Magnan, uh, a great leadership group there. So they're a team that I think you can watch out for as well. Mimico, obviously they've been a top team for a while, but same thing, those young guys, the you know, Thomas McComvays, uh, the Peyton Cormiers, these guys aren't first or second year guys anymore. They are, you know, near the end of their junior career. They're here ready to prove things. And obviously St. Catharines, the name goes on and on. Six Nations will be there as well. So I don't necessarily think there's going to be maybe an outlier of one of the top teams dropping down, but I think now you have more contenders in that heavyweight division, we'll call it. Um, you're still scared to face my T1s in a Founders Cup, but uh, how your iron heads <laughs> Hey, we would love to. If we can yeah. come out, we would, we would do it in a heartbeat. But you no, come we're out to us, Pat. Hey, well, we'll take a trip to, to BC. We'll game. take a trip to BC. But no, you know what? Things are going well. Obviously, I, I think uh, it's a little bit difficult, you know, really when, you know, you lose two years. Uh, oh, well, at least one full season. But, uh, you know, we're going to we're a young team. I think next year actually is going to be a really, really good season for us. We have a ton of great young talent coming up from the Toronto beaches minor. Um, some of the guys that we had as rookies two years ago, when we made our run to the second round, almost punched our ticket um, to the East finals. Those guys are ready uh, to step up and be top contributors. Daniel may uh, is one guy that really jumps out to me. He's down at Jacksonville and it's crazy to see some of these kids come back, yeah. um, you know, after a full season, um, some of these guys, two years of training with division one strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, it, it's really cool to see, uh, you know, how, how athletic these guys are now. And it, it's only going to make them obviously a better field lacrosse player. But when they come back inside the box, uh, some of these kids are beasts, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's crazy to see, you know, those kids that were, you know, before the, the stoppage were in Bantam or Midget. And they don't have two years of lacrosse. All of a sudden, they're thrusted into junior A or, yeah. or tier so, one, and it's a huge jump for them. And some yeah. kids are more physically um, mature than others. Some kids have adapted better than others. 
Um, but, but it's really cool to see the development of these young kids. And a lot of that has to do with their ability to be in colleges and playing lacrosse and getting that regular workout in and staying in shape and staying physically ready. And I think it's, it's going to be great for the future of our game. And a lot of these kids have goals uh, of being in the NLL one day. And you're with the Halifax Thunderbirds, of course, as their pristine color commentator. They have done a lot uh, in the last few weeks of signing guys. And this is a big signing period for a lot of teams. Um, but just recently today, they signed the captain, Cody Jameson. Uh, Brad Gillies has been recently re-signed. They signed uh, the King of the Hill. Um, Kurt Styers, Micah Kersey, coaching staff, they're, they're really starting to bring back the core of this Halifax team. Um, how important is that for this Halifax group to get that core back? I think it, it's truly huge because, I mean, you can look at a lot of the young guys on this roster. Obviously, Graham Hossick is, is you know, uh, 29 years old, so he's not getting any younger, but he is right in the middle of his prime. Um, you know, Jake Withers, uh, Austin Shanks, these guys are all coming into their own, but you look at some of the other older guys. Um, and they're not getting any younger themselves. Cody Jamison, like you mentioned, um, you know, you, you look at even a guy like Stephen Keogh, who's not signed up yet, but I know they want to get a deal done, um, for him, Mike Burke. Um, you also look at, you know, uh, Campbell, a guy on the back end. These are all guys that are, you, you don't know how many years left these guys have in them. And I think the coaching staff realizes that there is a, a window to win right now. And if it's not this year, who knows how much longer they do have, because once those guys are gone, obviously your young guys are going to have experience, but you're missing that championship pedigree that you have in the lineup right now. So I think they realize that the opportunity is right there. They're knocking at the door. I think they were a, a legitimate championship contender in the season that did get cut short. Um, and they use that phrase unfinished business. And they really do truly feel that there is some unfinished business with this group. And unfortunately for them, they're going to lose a big part in that in Ryan Banesh. Uh, but that's why they also went out to get a guy like, you know, Steph LeBlanc. So he's going to fill in right there. LeBlanc's probably not going to put as, as many goals up as Ryan Banesh, but he's going to do some other things that maybe Benny wasn't doing crashing, banging, feeding on the inside. Um, so I, I think they're going to look very similar to what we saw last year when that season cut short, I just think the biggest difference maker for this team is can Warren Hill come back and play like an elite goaltender. Like we saw not just last year, but even the season before that about halfway through when he took over, that's where he showed he is a legitimate number one. And he's a goalie. Uh, that's not just a number one, but one of the top goalies in the league, if he can come back into that cage and play the way uh, that we saw him play, I don't see why this isn't a team that could be hoisting the trophy at the end of the season. The Nest has been become one of the top arenas in the National Lacrosse League and the top fan bases in the National Lacrosse League in just the short time span that the NLL has been in Halifax. How wild is it in there? You've been in a lot of National Lacrosse League rinks across the league and, and you've seen some amazing fan bases. How special is that Halifax fan base? It, it's, it's amazing. Honestly, it is. It's so, so cool to see. And it was one of those things where it's not like, I mean, day one, obviously with the, you know, the orange and I think it was the orange and orange purple, purple game, yeah. ex exhibition game that was, you know, sold out, but that was also free admission and everyone came 
the first game, the opener, it was great. It was, it, it was a great crowd. Um, but every week it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And by the end that that last game, it was close to a sellout. But the thing that really jumped out to me, it wasn't just people showing up to the game, watching an entertaining product and saying, wow, lacrosse is awesome. They bought into the Halifax Thunderbirds mm-hmm. and the actual team itself. Not just, you know, this is a fun thing to do on a Friday or a Saturday night, have a few beers and, you know, head over to the bars after. No, this is a team that has embraced it. You walk through the concourse of the arena, you walk through, um, you know, the the food court that's just attached to the arena. You just see from head to toe people wearing purple orange and white Halifax gear Jameson jerseys on their back Hossack jerseys on their back Um, little kids with you know head to toe wearing you know Halifax gear whatever it may be but they have totally bought into this team and I will say this you know winning sells Mm -hmm. if Halifax goes in and you know they have a 50 percent you know or you know a, a 500 record at home I don't know if uh, the fever for this team catches that quickly. So I think a big part of that is what this leadership group uh, in management was able to do, putting a championship contender right away. Uh, And I think that's the formula that you have to go with. And I think looking down at a team like Vegas, Panther City, they need to put in winners right away because you look at Saskatchewan, you look at Halifax, those are the two cornerstone franchises. Yes, they were relocated teams, but they started winning immediately on day one. You look at some of the other franchises that are expansion that have kind of taken a little bit longer to be successful. Well, those are the ones that maybe haven't been quite as successful putting butts in seats. So I think it's it's evident. If you want to grow a new fan base, you got to put a winning product out there. December 4th, uh, a rematch of one of the greatest games of the shortened season, the rush coming to town to take on the Thunderbirds. Um, sure, there might be a little bit of rust. There might be, you know, some drop passes here and there, but I think that you couldn't have picked a better starting game f- for that home crowd base to, to entertain and watch because the game a year and a half ago or however long it was, was absolutely banana land. It, it honestly was the craziest game I had ever been involved in as a broadcaster, a player, a coach, a spectator, whatever it is. It was truly maddening. And it was the loudest I think I've ever heard a building. And and that low roof that they have um, up in the nest, it just, it makes things sound even louder. And uh, you're right. People are still talking about that game today, apparently in Halifax, when the, when the Thunderbirds get brought up, they always say, Oh, I was at that game against Saskatchewan, the overtime game and how crazy that was. And even though it was a loss, um, it felt like, you know, from a marketing standpoint, it was oh, a win because true. of how good of a game it really was. And um, they lost in heartbreaking fashion, but every single person was standing on their feet, giving that team standing up giving both teams to be quite honest a standing ovation for the performance that they put on uh we'd be crazy to say we're gonna see the same thing again when these two teams meet again because i don't know if i you know but i I wouldn't be surprised if we see a a game go down you know right to the hour because they're two teams that match up so evenly and they're two teams that don't meet too often but when they do um, fireworks are, are spark because people people forget those are the two teams that met in the finals not too long ago when uh, the Thunderbirds still were Rochester so and we saw a great series there too um, let's quickly touch on the the PLL there they just had their all-star game they're moving to the second half of the season you know just how it worked out there's that they're on a bye this weekend 
Uh, they're going to play the last weekend of July and then the following weekend. They only have two weekends left uh, in their regular season. Um, is it safe to say, you know, looking at the standings, only two wins separate the Cannons from the Redwoods? Is parity a word that we can use or is that just me being lazy? No, I think that is the true theme of this year. And I think it's pretty funny considering everyone coming to this season was saying, well, how many games are the whip snakes going to lose one, two, zero. Um, and of course, obviously injuries play into that. Some big names have, have been in and out of the lineup, but I think adding in that extra team uh, allowed for a little more parity, uh, you know, with the expansion draft to spread out some talent. And obviously the players that were coming into the league from the ML were, were no slouches as well. Obviously Lyle Thompson, um, Shane Jackson, Kyle Jackson. We haven't seen him yet. Challen Rogers, but um, you know, Brian Cole, uh, the list goes on and on. I'm just picking out the Canadian mm-hmm. names for, for the box lacrosse fans that are listening, but it, it's been unbelievable. Truly. It really has. And I think that it's, it's, it's so lame to say, but like on any given day, someone can win if you don't bring it. And it's been proven. Um, the cannons obviously are an expansion team here. Um, if you look at the record and then watch what they do out on the field, you would never tell that's, that's that yeah. team out there. Right. It's just unfortunate bounces, um, a couple close games here and there. Um, but they're going to be a team to be, to, to look out for in a while. And I hope that they continue with this expansion because one, it's only going to further promote more, um, parity throughout the league but also if you look at the sidelines right now in the free agency pool there's still enough talent to put at least one more i would like to see maybe one more team for next year see how that plays out um see if we continue to get that parity because honestly you look at you you look at 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 these teams here and i mean you could you could probably argue that maybe there's only two to three teams that are probably legitimate you know title contenders but as we saw last year, like the chaos, they caught fire at the right time um, and were able to get something special done. If they sneak into the playoffs again and their offense starts, you know, humming again, obviously at that time too, Curtis Dixon might be able to come back and cross the border. You can't tell me that they're a team that can't be poised for a run. I think obviously the Chrome are a team that maybe you can't, but if, if Randy Stotts was there, that's a different story. They've been riddled with injuries, but from top to bottom, honestly, I think there is, there's not one team that you can't make an argument that come playoff time. If they sneak in, they can't go on a run. Put you on the spot. Who wins it? If you asked me a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, I guess I probably would have said the archers, Yeah. Um, but they need some things to figure out. Um, I'm going to say the Atlas. Nice. I think the Atlas are going to get it done. I, I would like to say the whip snakes, but I think that's the easy thing. And I did just yeah. preach about how much parody there was. Yeah. And I think I would be kind of counterproductive if I said, you know, that team to win, but I think it's the Atlas, um, you know, from top to bottom, they are a strong team. Jeff Teat has proved that, um, you know, obviously every time when he gets into a new league, he, he can contribute and doubting the haters and the, the doubters who, no one was ever doing that. No one no. was ever doubting him. <laughs> People just like to say that. So yeah. um, I think that would be pretty cool, pretty special for for him to jump into the league um, in his first season and win a championship. Hell, Dan Arestia thinks that he could win. If he leads them to the finals and he's the guy, Arestia thinks he can win MVP and rookie of the year at the same time. Yeah, I believe it. Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? And he, he showed from game one. Well, yeah. game one, he had an average start, but that seems to be the theme for Jeff Teat. So 
if there's NLL props available in Jeff Teat's first game, maybe take the under, but the hammer it <laughs> the over in the second. Because he did the same thing yeah. in major series lacrosse. Had a pretty average game against the Lakers. Two days later, absolutely lit them up and, and never looked back. Um, speaking of prop bets, uh, you and Cool Bet Canada have been doing an excellent job um, covering all sports. Uh, you, you've yet to sort of delve into the lacrosse world, but with the um, the new rules coming into Canadian sports betting and with the National Lacrosse League's partner with BetMGM, um, are we going to see some NLL props and game lines and over-unders and stuff, you think? We will absolutely have NLL lines. I don't know. I can't divulge into, you know, how extensive our markets will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we want to brand ourselves and we do brand ourselves as Canada's, you know, premier sports book. And how can you call yourself Canada's premier sports book without having their national game? Right. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been working hard. We're, we're, we're excited to be able to offer them this, this season. And, um, and I, I think it, it's going to be great. I think it's, I think, you know, the NLL have, have done a fantastic job starting to slowly integrate, you know, betting lines into their games, into their content. And I think it's only going to further improve. And, you know, with there being a TSN deal now, and with, you know, sports books, obviously we're not going to be the only sports book that offers it, but multiple sports books across, you know, the country offering NLL lines. That's just a recipe for enticing the casual sports fan to become a lacrosse fan. You got a game on at TSN on a Friday night, two Canadian teams going to head to head. Why not sprinkle a little bit of money on, on, on Toronto? Why not sprinkle a little money on Halifax? Yeah. That's how you get those casual fans invested. And then once they're invested, you, you and I know. Yeah. they're hooked for life yeah so I, I think that's a no-brainer how hard is it going to be to handicap lacrosse games especially in the nll you think it's going to be tough <laughs> it's going to be tough i mean I, I you know i'm we're considered experts and <laughs> you look at our pickums. although you had a good year last year yeah. um it's tough it's going to be really tough but that's the challenge and that's why those guys are are, are pro- professionals right they'll figure it out i'm sure there's formulas and, and everything that goes into that it's a little bit of um of of formulas and and a little bit of kind of seeing who's in and out and, and that's one thing that obviously we've talked about at, at nauseum before i think that's one thing that the nl is going to have to clean up is you know who's in who's out yeah uh injury reports things like that that are going to need to be a little bit cleaner because when you have people wagering money however much it may be um you know it's all about transparency right um, if you had to set lines right now, who would be the early, you know, five to one favorite plus 300 Ooh. money or minus 300 money as a favorite? Oh, man, 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 man. I don't know if anyone would be in minus territory, but I think if you had to look at one team, I would say, I won't say Halifax because they're in a tough division. So, Although the team I'm going to pick is also in a tough division. There's no easy division no. in the NLL. Let's be honest. I'm going to say Saskatchewan. Yeah. I think obviously there's a little bit of uncertainty with their lineup, but you know, Derek Keenan's done a pretty good job locking up some of those big names. I think uh, with them having championship pedigree and I also, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a narrative suck. This could be the last kick of the can where there is this many, of the same guys yeah. playing together. So I think the mindset going in and you even heard it in, in the uh, a lot of post game with the lightning 
talking about this is the last time all of us are going to be able to do this together. That's why we did. I think the same message is going to be there for Saskatchewan, because I think after next year, they're really going to have to retool that roster. So that's going to be a little bit of motivation that, you know, they can go in. And I think they're going to also be battling for, you know, head coach McComb too. new yeah. head coach comes in proving that, Hey, just because we don't have Keenan here, he's still a part of our organization. Uh, you know, McComb's been here for a long time. He can get it done with us too. Um, the NLL is doing their sort of daily uh, poll questions. Um, and maybe I just, it just didn't click in, but one of them the other day was, will Saskatchewan win their ninth straight Western mm-hmm. division title? That is just ridiculous. I, I, and when you go back and think about it, yeah, I guess they have been the top team during the regular season in the West for almost a decade, but that's just almost unheard of. Yeah, it, it's I know dynasties are all about championships, but that is as close as you could get to a dynasty. And and I mean, they had a miniature one anyways, winning all those titles, but that's just that pure domination. And I think that is a true testament, obviously, to their core, but to what Derek Keenan and, and that leadership group has done. And, you know, they have new ownership, but it sounds like they're committed to winning as well. And uh, Saskatchewan, although they they support that team really, really well. Um, if they're not putting a, a, a Purdue, like a, a championship caliber team on the floor, um, they'll be vocal and they'll oh, make yeah. sure because they're the same thing with the Rough Riders. The, they want to win. They're a hungry team. They love supporting their team, but they also want to make sure that ownership is all the way in. And I think they are from hearing everything that the prisoner group has said. It sounds like, you know, it's going to be a, a, an easy chan- changeover from the Urbans seamless and it's going to be the exact same thing that comes to on and off the floor um last one for you uh, announced on tuesday uh the ioc has granted full status to lacrosse sixes um how special is this moment uh in the landscape of lacrosse it's it's probably one of the biggest days in in modern lacrosse history mm-hmm. What this means going forward for the game is unbelievable. And yes, say say whatever you want about sixes, even though we haven't even seen what it's going to look like. Um, Just the fact that we are, you know, we're that much closer to getting lacrosse in the Olympic games, the biggest stage um, in the world. That is huge. That is absolutely massive. There's going to be nations that have never even heard of lacrosse watching. There are going to be people that have no idea what a lacrosse stick is or has only seen lacrosse in American Pie or other movies like that. <laughs> it, it's going to change the future of the game. And yes, it's not the traditional field lacrosse game. It's not the traditional box lacrosse game, but it is lacrosse. And it's going to get sticks in hands and it's going to get people falling in love with this beautiful game. But one thing I will say, if you can't get the Iroquois Nationals into the Olympics, I don't want it. It is wrong. If they are unable to showcase their talents with their game on the biggest stage, it it just should not happen. So I hope there is a way that the IOC um, and the world lacrosse can get together and find a way to get Iroquois into this Olympics, especially it being in LA, um, you know, on their soil, on their land, playing their game it would just feel disgusting if we couldn't see the Haudenosaunee playing uh, for a gold medal. That's very well said, my friend. Um, let's keep our fingers crossed that that does happen. Uh, you got to go get a haircut to make yourself beautiful. <laughs> weekend. 
Uh, I appreciate all the insight. Uh, what is your overall cool bet record right now? What's it stand at in all your bets? Nope. I don't think I'll have to go back and look, but if it wasn't for a pretty solid, uh, uh, the open championship this weekend, it'd be yeah. pretty ugly. That was the other thing off the, off the top. You said I was the best gambler, you know, that was very kind of you, but that is absolutely not true. <laughs> Buddy, I appreciate this, man. Uh, good luck to your iron heads. Have fun calling games this weekend. And maybe you and I will see each other very soon. Oh, we can only hope, Teddy. We can only hope. Thanks for having me, buddy. There he is. The one and only Pat Gregoire from the Lacrosse Flash, Halifax Thunderbirds, Cool Bet Canada. He is a very, very busy man. And we always appreciate his time. But just, seriously, you have to go to the same barber just because he cuts your hair the same way? Like, I... I don't have as good a hair as Pat, and I'm 42 now. I got grays. I got the wisdom color. We're all good. Like, I'm okay with it. I go to a place called Brothers Barbers, and um, it's four or five people usually on rotating chairs, uh, you know, a couple of different people every other day. And I go in there, and I see people wait a half hour, 45 minutes just for the same person. Whereas I can walk in there, and the first chair that comes available, I'm taken. My haircut is pretty standard. Clean the beard up, trim the sides, tidy up the top, in and out, bada boom. I don't need all the fancy stuff, man. I get it. You want the familiarity. You probably have a good rapport with that person. But I'm not into sitting in a barber's chair for a long time. Like, I want to be in and out in 25 minutes. Maybe that's just me. Whatever. Um, great talking with Patty uh, about everything that's going on in Ontario with the Ontario Junior League. Um, they're starting, I believe, their bubbly season, their two-week season this weekend. And they are going to be streaming all the games, so you can check out those games. It's going to be Matt Carrick, Pat Gregoire, and another gentleman whose name is escaping me right now. So give me a minute while I look it up. And we'll go from there because, you know, when we have, there it is, Alan Cork will be the third gentleman of the broadcast team. So Alan, Pat, and Mr. Carrick will be calling games from the track. And having been a part of the Tier 1 season out here in BC, let me tell you, being back in the rink with live lacrosse is one of the most cathartic things I've ever experienced. And it may be a little, you know, a little flashy to say something like that. But honestly, having not been in a lacrosse box for almost two years and felt the sweat of gross gear and heard the squeaks of shoes on concrete floors and the dings of balls off pipes, the slashing of titanium on plastic it is so good it is so so good so i'm happy for everybody in ontario that they now get to experience that themselves even more so now i'm a little jealous because as i mentioned off the top the msl is back they are going to play a 10 game schedule um over a couple weeks span again at the track uh, they plan to have a little playoff series at the end and crown a quote-unquote champion but unfortunately 
the Peterborough Lakers have opted not to play. And they felt that the reasonings of not being able to have all their players, not having any home games um, at the, that time, no talk of web streaming was going to be done. Um, they just didn't feel that it was in their best interest. So it's going to be an MSL season without the Peterborough Lakers, but it's going to be lacrosse in Ontario and everything's going to be done in Oakville at the track. They can keep everything sort of confined um, as best they can. And hopefully they'll be able to get some streaming done. If the Ontario Junior League can do it, hopefully the MSL can do it. And for all of us that are outside of the Rock or the Oakville Rock area, we'll be able to watch it. Because, like I said, being able to watch live lacrosse has been so dang cathartic. Uh, I didn't realize how much I missed it until I really missed it. And then when I was, you know, going Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, traveling every weekend, like... It, it's so good to be back. <laughs> and the sad part is, our Tier 1 season ends on Wednesday. So, it was an absolute lightning bolt of a season. But it's been so good to get out there with these young men who just want to play lacrosse. And their infectiousness for the game is unmatched. And yes, those first couple of games, um, the guys were letting out a lot of tension. There was a lot of pent-up aggression and anger and feelings in those first couple of games. And that's why there's a couple more tilts than normal in some of those games. But it's just been so awesome to get everybody back out on the floor, playing some lacrosse, no matter how short it is. Uh, a reprieve from the mundane of being in a pandemic has been wonderful. And now we all have to look forward to the draft coming up, the Hall of Fame, training camp, and the weekend of December 3rd. But we can also start looking forward to free agency that is nine days away. And teams continue to sign their own UFAs and RFAs to contracts, making sure they can lock them up before they are set free into the free agency pool. Um, again, nll.com slash news slash transactions is where you can go for all your updated contracts. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but there are some key ones that I want to talk about. Um, so let's go back a, a week, uh, the 16th, blah, 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 blah. Warren Hill and Eric Fennell get two-year deals with the Halifax Thunderbirds. Warren Hill, uh, one of the biggest reasons Halifax had as much success as they have in their two years, uh, is a key cornerstone of that franchise right now. Awesome to get him locked up for two more years, and he can continue to be the king of the hill. Uh, the Wings signed Corey Small to a one-year deal, the kitten back in the city of brotherly love. That's a great addition to their left side. And then the Seal signed draftees Mac O'Keefe, Trey LeClaire, and Austin Stotts to a two-year contract. So that was the 16th. On the 19th, um, John Rannigan, Alex Krepensuk, again with the Philadelphia Wings. But this was the big news on that day specifically. And that was that the Georgia Swarm extended the franchise tag to Dan Coates as per Section 7.2C of the CBA. Now, 
Dan Coates is a unrestricted free agent, but he has the ability to reject that franchise tag. So this was put out on the 19th. He then would have 72 hours to reject that franchise tag if he wanted. So that would technically, if if the offer or if the if he was offered it on the 19th. 72 hours, depending on what the actual timestamp of the offering was. Let's call it noon. So he would then have until noon tomorrow, which would be the end of the 72 hours, to either accept or reject that tag. If he rejects that tag, you can almost assuredly guarantee that he will be signing with another team in free agency on August 1st. And if that is the case then that makes that Zed Williams-Dan Coates trade in the offseason a lot more sort of one-sided. But, again, still have to wait and see. I know there are a few of us in the Lax Flash group chats that kind of felt that Dan Coates would be a perfect captain for Panther City. And it would be very wise for Bob Hanley to go after him on August 1st. If he rejects this franchise tag, like I said, I can almost guarantee that he is signing with another team and that it will pro- it will be one of a few teams, I would imagine. Um, and I think PCLC is right up there on that list. Obviously, being an Eastern guy, being a GTA guy, there might be some want to go and play for The Rock. Maybe he wants to be in Buffalo. Who knows? But if he rejects the franchise tag, that's big red lights all around Dan Coates' name come August 1st. And everybody will try and get a piece of the former Mammoth captain. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Speaking of captains, Halifax Thunderbirds have re-signed Jammer Cody Jamison to a one-year deal. Uh, Locking up the captain, as we talked about with Patty Gregoire, was essential to the future of this club. So now they got Warren locked up. Uh, they've got Gillies locked up, they got the Cyborg locked up, they got Jammer locked up, they also got Bad and Bushy locked up as well. Uh, Danny Logan signs a two-year deal with the San Diego Seals, and then just uh, on the 21st, the Rush trade Justin Robinson and the 13th overall pick in this upcoming entry draft to the Bandits in exchange for Dan Linder and a second-round pick in 2023. Dan Linder and Derek Keenan have a relationship back to Danny's Whitby Warrior Jr. days. So there is some familiarity between those two. I know Justin Robinson has a lot of lacrosse playing time left in his career. To add that with a 13th overall pick um, kind of seems one-sided. But we can ne- we've learned to never doubt what Derek Keenan does. It is very rare that he makes a bad trade for his club. I just don't know if Robinson in a 13th was equal value for Danny Littner in a second rounder in 2023. But again, I try not to doubt the moves that Derek Keenan makes. Um, So those are sort of the biggest moves in the NLL transaction layer. Again, nll.com slash news slash transactions. And you can find all of your information there. Also check out at NLL moves on Twitter and Instagram. He's got a great database 
uh, and keeps things sort of organized and up to date as best that he can. Um, sure, it's kind of based off this website, but he has a very good database. So if you want to see who's out there, who's not, who's available, who's not, uh, as we lead into August 1st, um, check him out at NLL Moves. Um, he actually put a tweet out the other day um, that was letting us know what were the numbers. Uh, let's see, 133 roster players still unsigned. 69 street free agents waiting for calls starting August 1st. So there could be, there are some big names that are going to be available in free agency. And August 1st will be a very exciting time. Probably, you know, will happen over a couple of weeks of guys signing contracts. But starting on August 1st, when free agency officially opens, it's going to be some good stuff, my friends. So buckle up because there are going to be some teams who are going to make a play for a lot of those names. And maybe next week as we lead into the first, we will go over a bunch of those names and possible destinations for them. But as for now, that'll do it for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, the Lacrosse Flash Network. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, Instagram, OTCB Podcast, and of course, you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com thank you to steve govett thank you to pat gregoire and as always thanks to you the loyal listener for taking time out of your day to get in until we speak again stay safe and be excellent to each other